Let us turn to our, in our, uh, to our word, to the book of Jude. Right before the book of Revelations, you should find a letter written by Jude. Most scholars agree that Jude is the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to begin in verse 17. And I actually would like for us to read it together. Jude, beginning in verse 17, we're going to go to verse 23. We're going to read it together as a family. Church of Chicago family, let us begin. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Amen. So this part of the epistle is addressed to us about how do we live among scoffers. The book of Jude is written, written to believers and is written with a specific purpose. It's written with a targeted objective for the believers. And we find that in verse 3. And I'll go ahead and read it. And we want to figure out, before we get to our text, we want to figure out what is the objective of this letter that he has for us. It says this, Below, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith. Everyone say that with me. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were de designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So right here, Jude wants us to be reminded that we have to contend for the faith. So let's keep that in mind. We're to contend for the faith. He's talking to the believers. He's not talking to the outsiders. He's talking to me. He's talking to you right here. He's talking to us that we are to be reminded that we have to contend for the faith. And then in our scripture here, it says in the last times that there are going to be scoffers. The word translated scoffer in English means one who mocks one who ridicules, one who scorns the belief of another. And even if you're looking at the Hebrew, you see this kind of word called ambassador found in, in this word scoffer. So it also can mean that a scoffer is one who disagrees with an idea 
but he also considers himself an ambassador for the opposing idea. So they don't just disagree with you, they are uh, uh, presenting another idea in opposition to what you believe. So a scarf is one who not only disagrees with an idea, but he considers himself as an opposer to you. If you can just imagine Jesus on the cross, the haters of God scoffing him, mocking him, jeering at him. We get that idea of scoffers. And today's scripture is, is, for, is for us. That how do we live in a world full of scoffers? People who are against the faith in which we hold. But not only scoffers out in the world, but more particularly within the church. Within the church. You can think about it with the enemy within. And so how do we survive that? I mean, that's someone that has a direct hit towards you. Someone that's on the inside. Because they know the intimacies and the workings and how things work. They know your strong points and the weak points. How do we survive this? How do we handle or how do we live among scoffers? So just like we looked at verse 3, there's like this call to arms appealing us to contend for the faith. Now Jude has presented a, a particular picture. He gave us examples before we get to our text. He talked about how God delivered the children out of bondage, out of Egypt. They felt the presence of God. They saw the presence of God. They were there, but those that didn't believe, that, that scoffed them, God destroyed them. He goes on to explain about the angels in heaven. They were in the presence of God. They experienced him. They were in his presence. They were on the inside, and they left their proper place being doomed forever. And so, even though we are to worry about the outside, so we know that we have enemies on the outside. We know that the enemy hates us because they hate Christ. But right here, Jude is really concerned about the enemy within. So he talked about these scoffers, their characteristics, their history and everything. He draws out examples from the past. He warned us all about their infiltration. In verse 12, he calls them this. He called them reefs in your love feast. They're reefs, they're reefs. They're, they're, they're here to shipwreck your faith in a love feast. They, they come and they want to commune with you and they eat with you and they fellowship you. They're like reefs. They're ready to shipwreck our faith. So here we are in a, in, in a world. And as we've been learning, they're, they're, so we're, we're, sometimes we're just surrounded by scoffers, surrounded by the enemy. And everywhere, and even inside the church, Jew and even the other apostles saw great concern, and they wanted us to be warned about this. So those who abandon the Christian faith, or who mock Christ openly and deny him openly, and they turn their backs and they leave the church, there's a term for that. They call them apostates. An apostate is someone that has the appearance of someone of holding on to the faith. That have they believe that we believe, but somehow over time they have left the faith. But I came here to tell you tonight, but I don't believe that a true believer can be an apostate. A true believer in Christ cannot be. Because when we learn in 1 John, it says they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been with us, they would have remained with us. But their going away has shown 
that they were never a part of us in the first place. So, but yet there are a lot of people within the church that have the appearance of holding on to the faith and we need to be warned and how to live with them. And I think Jude gives a beautiful explanation on how we can survive this. So here we are in the middle of it all. And the question is, at the end, is how do we contend for our faith amongst the scoffers? How do we do this? How do we preserve the truth? How do we protect the church and the people who are coming to church who are desiring to know the truth? How do we protect them? How do we even protect ourselves from this? How do we survive this increasingly apostate in these last times? How do we survive this? And Paul, he even told Timothy at the end of his life, he says, evil men will grow worse and worse. Paul, another Paul, so he indicated in his letter to Thessalonians that the apostasy would escalate as we get closer and closer to the end. So how do we survive? How do we protect the truth? How do we engage in a triumphant battle in the midst of all this? First of all, remember, and as we turn back and, and go to verses 17, 18, he says, look, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ that they were saying to you. In the last times, there should be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. And he's talking about the inside of the church, those who actually mock the truth and get away with it because it's subtle. Because it's not always direct. It's subtle in many ways. The words of our Lord's brother says this, uh, to, uh, that the prophecy was made known to us by the other apostles, apostles. So why would the Lord bother to inform us? The obvious answer is so that we would not be surprised. He's telling us this. He says, remember. Remember what they were telling you. And the reason why he wants to remember is because when it does happen, we won't be surprised. You know, it's, it's a little bit different when you come across a situation and you prepared for it, you've been groomed for it, you know what's coming. You can't tend to deal with it a little bit better when you're prepared for it. But when it catches you by surprise, it shakes you up really bad. You don't know what to do sometimes. And so uh, Jesus Christ, he knew that this would happen. And so he did not want us to be surprised. Not only has it, will it happen, that has already happened. So how do we resist? How do we protect the truth? This is how we preserve the truth. This is how we're going to fight the battle. This is how we're going to be doctrinally strong. We're going to be building ourselves up on the most high faith. Building ourselves up. It kind of removes uh, like a metaphor. Building ourselves up like building a building. It's like a spiritual progress, spiritual growth. So number one, we remember. And number two, we begin to develop spiritual growth. But the truth is the most holy faith. That is to say the truth comes from God. The truth comes from God. That truth which comes from God, it is, that is the holy truth. We are, and so we are all called into building ourselves up on the foundation of the most holy faith. That most holy faith, that truth comes from God. Now, this basically comes down to studying the word of God and studying it with a view towards 
obedience. I'm going to say that again. We study the word of God, but we study in view in obedience. So therefore, we're just not studying it just so that we can have an intellectual knowledge. We're doing it so that we can become obedient. I guess you could say learning and applying the word of God. Here's something interesting. Let's turn to the book of Acts. Something interesting. The book of Acts. Chapter 20. 28 through 32. I really want you to follow me with this. Acts chapter 20. 28 through 32. Paul, here he is speaking to the Ephesian elders. He goes on to say, he, says, he tells them to the elders of the church, he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which is in the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men spreading twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Verse 31, he says, therefore, be alert. Here's that word again. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So the word that builds you up. And so if we're going to build ourselves up, we must do so by the means of the word. The word for us is to build up. And I just thought that was interesting right here that Paul was directing the elders right here. He says, look, be aware. There's going to be some people among you. They're going to creep in like wolves. And he commends them to be built up in the faith. So that everything in the church is designed or should be designed for building us up in the faith. The leaders of the church in Ephesians 4 and 11 it says this, he says he gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave evangelists, he gave pastors and teachers for the building up of the saints. And what do the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the teachers, what do they do? They teach and preach the word of God which builds up, which is what Jude is telling us to do, to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. And so what we're talking about here is spiritual development. So number one, we remember. Number two, we go through spiritual development. This is how we survive the scoffers or the enemy within. We're not talking about just minimal understanding of scripture. What we're talking about is diving into the scripture to perceive the deeper things of God. And so the New Testament calls us repeatedly to this discipline to study the word of God and understanding and grasping its deep and profound truths. It's not just, just knowing just the simpler things like he wants us to go deeper into his word so that we may apply it to our lives because we need to be prepared for the scoffers among us and from the enemy, both without and within. 
So it is necessary that if we want to remain in this progress of sanctification in the midst of apostasy, building ourselves up in the most faith, we need to do everything we can to be in a place where we can be edified by the word of God. And that is through the preaching and the teaching and the resources that is provided by our church in every other area. And I'd just like to say I really thank God for our pastor for teaching us to study the word of God for ourselves. Teaching us to study the word of God for ourselves. It's one thing just to listen, but when you dive into it and the Holy Spirit is working in you as you read scripture and revealing scripture to you, that is what we're doing. In, in all areas, the body of Christ, as well as our own personal study and the work of the Spirit, this is how we build ourselves up in the most holy faith. This means that while I'm learning, it does not replace my dependence on God. Dependence is always on God. I'm going to say that again. Dependence is always on God. So what does it mean by praying in the Spirit? Because that is what we need to be doing. Praying in the Spirit. There are some people who will jump and say that this means they're speaking in tongues. That's what this means. They will use the scripture that says praying in the Spirit means speaking in tongues. I personally, I don't believe that. It means this. It means that when we pray in the Spirit, it means that we pray consistent with the Spirit's will. We pray in consistency with the Spirit. To pray consistently with the Spirit's will, that means to yield to the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, it really explains this. I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll read this. Romans 8, 26 through 27. Feel free to follow along, but I'm moving on. It says this. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. And so that is what we need to be doing. Praying in the Spirit. Yielding ourselves to the will of God. And because, because of sin and because we're still going through the same, sometimes that's really hard to do when we're praying. When we're praying, we think, well, I need this. I need this. I need to get out of this. I need for this to happen, I need this. And it's in many cases, yes, that is good. But we always need to be mindful of what the Spirit is doing in our life. We know that he wants righteousness when we pray. We know that he, he, he doesn't want us to sin. We know that when we pray. We know that he wants to be honored and not dishonored. We all know this. But when it comes to the issues of life, sometimes we don't know where God wants us to go. Sometimes we don't know what his purpose is over here or why we're over there. I know sometimes we don't know what's coming up. We can't predict the future. We can't interpret the issues of life that we go through. We don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit intercedes for us. This is amazing reality. The Holy Spirit who lives within us carries on constant intercessions for us. And then it says, with groanings too deep four words. Here's the point. The Spirit is praying for us all the time. He's praying, he's interceding for us, praying in the Spirit. 
You know we can have, we know we have an advocate in, here, in, in heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. He is our high priest, and he intercedes in heaven for us. But we also have an advocate, an intercessor living on the inside of us, and that is your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It simply means this. If we're praying in the Spirit, we're praying consistently, consistently with the will of God in mind. That's what we're doing. It, it kind of looks like this when we pray. It says, Lord, do what you will. Do what pleases you. That's what it looks like. Do with me what pleases you. We want our prayers to be consistent with the Holy Spirit's prayer. Praying in the Spirit. Praying and yielding. Praying the will of the Father and the will of the Spirit and the will of the Son will be done. So on the other hand, we're called to this discipline of study. On the other hand, we're also called to this discipline of submission. So yes, we study. We do all we can to understand, but yet we yield to God. Then it goes on, he says, keeping ourselves in the love of God. This is what Jude is telling us, of how we can guard ourselves against these scoffers. It's kind of like he's giving us a survival manual. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. And I was reading, it's like, well, okay, what does that mean, keeping ourselves in the love of God? It means to stay in the sphere of God's love. And I know some say, well, well, wait a minute, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. I mean, we learned that in Romans. So we're like, well, what do, you, what do you mean keeping ourselves in the love of God? Because nothing can separate us. He's not talking about keeping ourselves saved. He's not saying stay saved. What he's telling us to do is, and I know parents can, can relate to this, we'll always love our children. They'll make us angry. So the love never goes away. Well, sometimes we have to give them what? Discipline. Staying in the love of God. I'd rather be in the blessings of God and, than under the chastening of God, under his discipline. Even though he loves us, he says, the Lord chasing those whom he loved. So yes, the love never goes away, but I'd rather be in his blessings than to be under his chastening way. So what in the world is he talking about here? Keep ourselves in the love. It just simply means keep ourselves in a place where we can experience the blessing that the God's love brings. We shouldn't get on what they call like the bad side of God. He never ceases to love us. Never, ever ceases to love us. So it means to get ourselves in a position where we're not going to feel his wrath. So what does it mean to keep ourselves in love? It means to keep ourselves, what, obedient. This is a survival guide, to be obedient. And when we remain obedient, we enjoy the fullness of God's love. And as long as I live in obedience, I will enjoy the full shout of God's love and his blessings and not his discipline. Waiting anxiously for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Another survival method that Jude points out here. Our, our whole mission statement is, what, does anyone remember? To proclaim the kingdom of God with anticipation of Christ's soon return. To wait with great expectancy. Literally to live our life in eager expectation for the Lord to come. And that is this church's mission right here. 
How else do we survive? We can reach out or outreach. Turn with me to Jude, once again, verse 22 and 23. Let's just read that really quick. 22 and 23. And he says this, Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So this war that we're in, it's not just a defensive war, but it's an offensive war that we have to engage in. It's offensive because it's, very, it's a very unique responsibility that we have. Not only do we have to expose the scoffer and defend ourselves against these scoffers and stop them at the border before they can infect and damage the church, it is, and that is where church discipline comes in, but we have to go out and have mercy upon these people to snatch them out of the fire. So not only do we have to stop the enemy, but we have this additional responsibility of winning them over, which is like a double challenge. So those who are the greatest threat to us is also in our mission field, which is some, maybe right here in the church. So now Jude helps us to understand in these two uh, brief verses that we have to reach out or outreach to them, but we have to approach them in different ways. Number one, the first group of people we have to be concerned about, I like to call them what they call the confused. Jude calls them the doubters, the confused, the doubting. To have mercy on them means to show kindness, and this kind of kindness is giving them the truth, giving them the truth to these doubters, to these people that are confused. That is to say, when we come across something who is now caught, who, who is now caught up in, in the scoffing with us, they're confused. They might have a tendency to say, we might have a tendency to say, look, I don't want to be bothered with them. Just get them out of my life. Just get rid of them. I don't want to have nothing to do with them. I know sometimes they're like, I don't, I don't even want to be bothered today because I know where they're going with this. They start drifting off in the wrong direction. We, we don't want to abandon them. Sometimes we do, but we're not to abandon. We want to clear the decks with these people, so to speak. On the one hand, we want to protect the church. That's what we want to do. We want to protect the church, but on the other hand, we have to show mercy. So in spite of their threat to the church, we have the obligation to feel compassion, to feel sympathy, to feel concern for someone who is doubting. Now, the word doubting is is basically confused. False teachers always go after people who are weak. In my little short life here on earth, when, when I've when I seen uh, uh, this type of attack, the strong people, they go after the ones who are weak in the faith, the ones who are confused, the ones who are, they're not quite sure they believe, but yet they don't understand it. They go after them. They go after the weak. They go after those that are vulnerable, those that are what we call immature in the faith. They're like tossed and fro. Any wind of doctrine come, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds a good saying. I saw that on Facebook. Yeah, I believe that. They kind of go after them. Those that are not strong in doctrine or, or in strong communion with the Spirit of God, they find the weak ones. So these doubters are not people who are antichrist. No, they're not antichrist. These are not people that are the anti-gospel. They're not against the gospel. These people are what we call just confused. They're the doubters. They're doubting. 
That is to say, they're not quite sure what the truth is. And there are many people like these in the church today. I pray there's no one here, but there may be someone here this afternoon. You might be a believer who, in the very time in which I'm now speaking, that you're being led astray. You maybe came across some literature that you've seen, that someone has passed out to you. Maybe you saw something online, or someone, uh, uh, another family member of opposing faith have said something, or cult, or movement, or something like that, and you're doubting. You say, I'm not quite sure what they're saying sounds good. And I'm open to the truth. Well, I tell you, if you're just open to the, if you're just open to truths, then you're also open to error when you don't have godly truth. So false teachers and doctrine, they prey upon people who are not yet able to rise above their doubts. So we have the responsibility to get to these people who are confused and to have mercy on them. And that mercy means that we don't write them off because they haven't made a commitment. We don't write them off because they're weak. We don't write them off because they're vacillating backwards and forth and they, they committed but then they're not committed. We, we don't write them off. We understand that they have eternal souls and that they need to hear the mercy of the gospel. So no, we don't just write them off as we can so easily do when we have opposition. The second group after this confused is the people that are convinced. They're convinced of the opposing view. They're convinced that it's what we believe is not true. Now, when we approach these people, the work gets a little bit harder. In verse 23, it says, save others, snatching them out of the fire. So now it seems like we're coming to a group that's kind of like, so to speak, already in the fire. They are in danger because they are, are convinced of something that is not true. They brought in their lies, their own lies, and the lies that they heard. They're in it. So now we have to go beyond having mercy. It's kind of like we have to go to like a rescue operation. Now we know we can't save anybody, right? We can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. As a matter of fact, uh, if we go to verse 25, it says, to the only God, our Savior. To the only God, our Savior. So we can't save anyone. And Jude is not violating that. God is the ultimate sort of salvation, but we are just a secondary means that God has chose to witness, to testify of him. So we're the secondary means. God, Jesus, is the primary means, but he uses us. We are just simple tools. God does the saving, but we partner with him in this ministry, not as a primary, but as like a secondary we are the tools that he used. So when we meet somebody who is convinced about their false system, who has been convinced otherwise, we don't just simply turn our back on them. You don't push them away. You don't shun them. But you also, you don't embrace them as part of the true fellowship, too. You don't accept them into the true fellowship. And that's what Jesus did with the Pharisees. He was very confrontive with them. He was very blunt. He was very severe in his warning to these Pharisees and Sadducees that was convinced otherwise. He gave them promises of, 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 of devastation and judgment. And so therefore, it's kind of like of a less gentle uh, attack that we have to go. And then finally, there is what we call the committed. They are definitely committed 
to the opposing view. So they're like among the convinced, but we have to deal with them with fear. It says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by them. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to realize that when we get involved with, 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 these, with these type of people, they're really committed. They're not just convinced, but they are committed. They are, are, are the ones that were just opposing Christ at the cross. But they want us to be careful when we approach them. And what, the reason why he wants us to be careful because in our interactions with them, we have to be careful to not become entangled with them, to actually become convinced along with them. So therefore, we love the sinner, but we hate the sin. If you think of it, the, uh, hating the garments that, uh, uh, that, that they have, it has this sense when he says that, it's, it's like a person that has on undergarments and their bodily functions have went into those undergarments. It's like we don't touch it, lest we become defiled along with them. And so therefore, we have to be very, very careful with these type of people. I believe that, yes, we are living in the last times. Jesus has warned them. The signs are there. And all throughout scripture, we see that, yes, there will be scoffers among you, people that have crept in unnoticed. I think it was very important that we realize this because it's right here in scripture. And this is how we contend for the faith. This passage here, this scripture here, this word of God here, it's meant to encourage you and to build us up and to be prepared when things like this happen because he loves us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, as we can see all throughout the world, our faith is under attack. We see it in the school systems. We see it in the media. We see it at our work. And unfortunately, sometimes we see it within the church opposers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've even seen some interviews on televisions, very popular pastors, even right here in the city of Chicago. They say, I don't believe all that stuff that's in it. Uh, I don't believe in Satan. I don't believe that there is this. You'll be surprised right here in the church, there are scoffers that have crept in that have snuck in. But my brothers and sisters, I believe that the Lord loves us so much that he will prepare us to be able to live amongst them, not to be conformed to them and, and just to uh, fly under the radar, so to speak, but so that we may live and bring glory and honor to God, to proclaim the kingdom of God with an anticipation of Christ's soon return. He tells us to remember why? Because it's going to happen. He tells us to remember this and so that we won't be surprised, so that we won't be devastated, so that we can be prepared and to be able to interact with the scoffers.